Welcome to Talking Toro Season 2, I believe it's Episode 3, even Episode 17 in total. I've got some bad news. I'm on my own tonight because uh, Rob Gilman um, has not recovered from the sad news that Andrea Bellotti has finally left and joined Roma. Um, no, he's here really. He's just very quiet. Just, I'm just Il very, just very sad. Il Gallo didn't like your uh, your your quickly put together video compilation, nor did he join Southampton. I think we're going to agree this is the last time. This is the last time I'm going to hear hear from you about Il Gallo. So you got you got two minutes to say goodbye to Il Gallo, and then we're leaving him alone. Uh, I just I'm not still not ready, but yeah, if anybody does want a uh, Andrea Bellotti pin patch, I do have a lot available. Um, I didn't think. Um, I didn't think he would leave maybe in such fashion where he might not be well thought of by Tuna fans. I think the just to t- briefly touch on his sort of goodbye Instagram post, um, I think the reaction's a bit mixed. I think the, the difficulty is the length of time between his Torino contract expiring and then sort of saying goodbye. Um, I, I, do, I do believe this, and I don't know whether it, it we'll ever find out the truth, but I do have a feeling that maybe when... When the sort of decision was made that he wouldn't renew, they did sort of say, "Well, I'm not going. To, let's not sort of cut all of our ties just yet." Because, say, Roma were unable to sort of accommodate um, a fan of Jan, who I think is, is the reason they managed to find the money to to sign him. I think Bellotti probably would have been stuck for a club. He wanted to stay in Italy, and Torino need a striker. So, I'm not suggesting that it's absolutely impossible, but there was a possibility that if if Bellotti was still sort of on the market that Torino couldn't have possibly come in for him again. But I think I'm I'm, I'm dreaming. I need to move on. Antonio Sanabria is the man. Actually, no, it's not. It's not. It's the Manja Maradon, Maradonjic. Maradonjic is pretty poor. Which, which is, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's coming. It, what night are you launching the Roma podcast? Is that, uh, do you want to, uh, do you want to get a plug in for that now already? No, no. Still, uh, to no player is bigger than the club. This is not this is not the Andrea Bellotti fan club. It might seem like that at times, but it isn't actually the Bellotti fan club. And to be honest, if he has if he has contacted Twitter and got my, my compilation uh, taken down, then um, serves him right, really. I, I, I hope he enjoys his, his ten minute cameos at Stadio Olimpico. Well, yeah, he seems he seems to have found his Instagram password. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I'm interested in how he, how he's going to get on at Roma because. Um, I don't think I don't think he's well. Yeah, I don't think he's been particularly good in the last two seasons. Bellotti said last season we were statistically a better team when he wasn't there, um, and the season before where the, the, the whole team were very poor. But his um, his kind of impact on the team dwindled quite 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 a bit over the last two seasons. And I just wonder whether it's he needed a fresh start. He needed to play somewhere else, or whether whether he is a player in decline, whether he is someone who is going to be useful at, at um, playing those kind of ugly Mourinho tactics with 15 minutes to go, being brought on to win free kicks and get Roma up the pitch, or whether he will, um, yeah, tear it up. And um, I, I do think it's interesting that he's only been given a one-year guaranteed contract, which isn't the um... Isn't the sort of thing that you do if you've got a lot of faith in a player, but indeed not. Is there maybe episode... maybe we're coming back next season. Are you done? No, no, let's leave it. Let's leave it. <laughs> Move on, Rob. Move on. 
Yeah, so, I think, yeah. I, think, uh, I, I, I think actually the fact that we started the season so well has made it so much easier for me to move on. And we're still unbeaten. Seven points from three games. Victory are we going to win the, are we going to win the league, Peter? I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to win the league, but I think the Champions League journey is on, Rob. So we are. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we're, we'll be quoting this in uh, we'll be quoting <laughs> this in March when we're ninth. We'll be quoting this in March. We're quoting this on Monday evening after we've lost to Lecce. But no, it's been a good start. I mean, as we are about 24 hours from the close of the transfer window, well, I think we'll deal with that um, in a bit. But yeah, Cremona. Um, I, as I said in last week's part of, I did fancy Torino um, in this game, providing we could keep it tight in the first 30 minutes. And I was a little bit nervous in the first kind of 20, 25 minutes of Cremonese. Played, they were very direct. And what, what I'd read about them before, I was expecting a kind of Atalanta, Verona, Torino style kind of. Juric um, did sort of big that up in the. In the pre-match to say that they were very similar sort of side, but... No, nothing at all. They had no midfield, um, um, pretty poor defence, but they had three three forward players were quite lively, um, a little bit erratic, but Torino played quite a high line and I was worried that we were going to see a repeat of uh, a little bit the end of the Venezia game last year where we lost a man. Um, um, I just felt we were definitely suspect to, to a ball over the top and possibly our lack of lack of pace as some of our central defenders might have been exposed um, but then once we got the goal we got the lead it allowed us to um, yeah, to, to, to kind of not not quite be so gung-ho and I think we largely controlled the game quite well but what were your thoughts? I, I thought that I think uh, I, I'm, I will own up again I was I was due to be watching the game and um, unfortunately you, you, you watching Roma were you? <laughs> Velati hadn't signed then. Um, so I was, I was, it's, you'll be surprised to hear that in in Tamworth, in the in the sort of different part from Staffordshire than you might know, uh, there isn't a big uh, appetite for for Torino Cremonese. So it was difficult to watch the game. I did think I might find somewhere, but I was unable to. Uh, so I managed to watch a little bit on my phone, and then also I've watched the highlights afterwards. Um, I thought that you were right with the sort of Okareki's sort of direct nature was a bit sort of a bit worrying in the first half but then also um, Singo was just uh, causing the, the left backs nightmares um, I think if you excuse the pun the criminals in midfield did get themselves into a pickle um, and anybody who watched the game may realise that criminals do have a midfielder called Charles Pickle um, so yeah apologies for that one um, Moving swiftly on, um, I just felt, I, I mean, and again, the, the first goal was a, a little bit scrappy. It's, I think it, I think it has now gone down as a Vlasic goal, but it was originally down as a as an own goal, but seemed quite unavoidable. Seemed like the sort of goal that Torino would would have conceded in yesteryear. Second half, I thought we were we were so much better. Um, probably should have had two or three, probably one or two more than than we'd scored. Linetti missing a a one and one. Uh, Rudonjic again should have scored before before the one he finally got. Um, just that sort of bit of bit of wildcard fact. He's really been the the sort of nice surprise package. Really, he sort of arrived out of the blue, and he's a bit of a maverick. If if you, there was a Serbian 
player in the Torino squad who didn't turn up for a game, you would have put your, your money on Radonjic, given his sort of history and, and the rumours that we'd heard about. But from what it seems, he's, he's sort of sort of got his head down. He's sort of working hard, and he's definitely there's definitely a player in there. I think he's finishing wise, maybe um, could do with some improvement. I think you raised the point about the similarities and differences with Brekelo, where he's probably a better sort of more creative, a bit more better dribbler, whereas Breckler had the sort of edge on the finishing. Um, but yeah, he's he's, um, he's already starting to sort of make himself a court hero, which is pretty pretty early on. That's pretty good, pretty good going. I think uh, Radonjic tends to dominate games. He kind of he kind of wrestles them with his with his personality a little bit. Um, I, I think I think he f- you sort he sort of set his stall early out that he may be a bit of a character when he. He got booked in the Coppa Italia for um, he, he had a goal disallowed, and then he got booked by asking the referee after he scored a goal that was uh, sort of ruled ruled to count. Uh, he sort of gestured towards the referee that he, was he sure he didn't want to check the VAR, um, which that sort of I see I don't mind that. I feel like he he can have a little bit of a laugh and a joke with the referees. Maybe that that isn't something that he can do in Italy, but um, I think yeah, I, I I did make an early claim that he would play a little bit at left wing back this season I might be backtracking on that because I think he might be needed in the sort of attacking third a a little bit more but I'll I'll make another claim I could see him getting sent off yeah I mean I um it wouldn't surprise me if he actually ends up playing through the middle um in a few games if we don't um like as a false as a false nine as a false nine, yeah, we might come on to it a bit later, but I think Torino, unless they bring in a third striker, there could be situations where where we play with with a false nine, um, and and maybe he, yeah, his finishing is not is is not particularly crisp. He, I think he tends to snatch at stuff a little bit, um, but I thought the goal was beautifully worked because he created it, he yeah. got in the the back heel to get Voivoda in, uh, and the two linked up very well, and actually. I mean, he was involved in the first goal as well, and it's Voivoda had come on for Ina, and Ina was a was a key part in the in the first goal, uh, and they both did very well. On the other side, Singo started very well. Um, you know, did a few tunnels on their left back, who I, I didn't think he did. He, there was one look. There's one look of the one where he sort of like chips it past him. Um, I still think the left back is sort of wondering where the ball went because he looks. Absolutely bemused as to as to what on earth had happened because it was actually um, quite a intelligent piece of play, but also quite a technically good piece of play to actually chip it forward with the amount of space and like judging exactly what he needed to do to get it past him and also keep it in play. Um, but I think um, I think Singer might be out for Atalanta. We will get onto that later. But I think uh, I think I've seen that he, he will be missing the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he played particularly well after that. He just he kind of. Looked a bit confused positionally, and just had one of his games where he was uh, still a little sloppy in possession as well. Um, I think on the negative side, just that last ten minutes was a lot more nervy than it should have been. And I always find when Torino were a goal down and chasing a game, the opposition, the opposition always seems to be very good at just sucking the life out of the game, whereas we just seem to breathe. Uh, renewed energy into the game. I thought there was, that, I thought, there was that chance straight after the goal, wasn't there? Straight after they pulled one back, there was sort of a, a foul just on the edge of the area where you sort of a, which was never a foul. But... Yeah, but you could you could you really just thought this would be peak Torino to in in ninety seconds that they would have turned a two 0 
uh, lead to two two with a with a, to albeit a, a great a great goal to pull, pull one back. Nothing. Um... No, it was a fluke. That goal was a fluke. I mean, the guy nearly wet himself. He was so surprised. <laughs> He's so surprised he scored. It was an I think well, given given the new uh, Vanya Milinkovic Savic, it it sort of requires a goal like that to to beat him. Well, there were some very interesting unorthodox saves from Vanya. I mean, I've seen the Serie A. I don't know if it's um, I, I don't know if it's kind of tongue in cheek, but but I think for every week of the season so far, they've done one of their kind of highlight reels. Um, well, I've seen them on Twitter anyway of different player skills, and they've had three. I'm sure they've had three weeks of Vanya saves, and they're presenting <laughs> it as these kind of miraculous saves. But he's just so unorthodox. He just kind of flings. Uh, the strangest part of his body at the ball, but it's, this season it's been effective, so I'm not going to complain. But yeah, he's just uh, he, he he's certainly a character. I mean, I guess the player we who had a very good game who want to get onto is um, your new, your new Dutch friend. Who I thought played. I thought I was a bit worried about him in the first 20 minutes. I thought he might he might get exposed, um, but. Yeah, just he's had a really, really, really good game, and in the second half, um, bringing the ball forward as well, you saw a little bit of the Ajax school um, and the ability to bring a little bit like Zima as well, bringing the ball out of. The and I think I think the long term um, sort of once everybody's back fit in the sort of in the back three, I think you would see Zima playing on the right hand side where Shears played last week. You'd see Shears in the middle, and then you'd see one of Rodriguez or or Bongiorno and. As long as he's got the captain's armband, you'd think Rodriguez would probably keep his place in the eleven. But I think that would be the the sort of front, the, the sort of the order, starting order. And then you've got sort of Gigi and you've got Bongiorno for depth. And again, we'll get onto it shortly about the transfers. But if if it so does leave as expected, I think we probably do need another centre back. Um, but the yeah, the, the sort of talk of, of players coming in with. 24 hours to go is a, is a little quiet, um, other than other than Dennis Pratt. But yeah, we will talk. Well, I well. think that's well. I think it's probably a natural segue. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. It. The Torino traditionally, um, I think it's been probably the last five or six transfer windows have been quite frustrating. Uh, but it's always on this penultimate day of the window where we seem to explode into life, and actually very little happens on the final day. Um, and this season, I yeah, I kind of expected today would be the day where two or three might come in, or we might see two or three new names. I do think I do think the fact that we started the season well, totally in comparison to la- this point last season where we'd lost both of our games. I think the sort of intention to make a sort of big purchase probably isn't there, um, and I think it's that concentration. Actually, if we get players out. Then maybe in Alaska, if so, so Zaza's gone, which we'll, we'll touch on later. We've got Verdi through out of the door, hopefully. We've got Itza out of the door, hopefully, and maybe Adera. I think maybe once all of those are confirmed, possibly we might see somebody else. But hope, well, we're hoping it will be at least Dennis Pratt and one more. Would you say realistically? Yeah, I mean, I think you you'd expect that. The brief probably from Cairo is get these players off the wage bill, and then any competent sporting director would have a number of targets kind of lined up, ready to go essentially. So whether um, whether the the lad Stana from Brescia is one of them, he I think he got a minor injury in their game on, on Monday evening, but I've not heard too much since about him. Priot seems to be the one that 
last night was looking like a done deal, but today was relatively quiet on it. So I don't know if there's a little bit of final negotiations going on. But obviously, that's one we need to get over the line tomorrow. But yeah, the, as the said, weird, as the weird said, thing about most likely. Yeah, sorry to sorry to get across it. The, the weird thing about that is that he actually started Leicester's game against Chelsea at the weekend, so he's not as sort of out of favour as he was previously. I know Leicester have got issues with um, sort of finances. It looks like they're going to need to sell players before they can buy them. But yeah, they're sort of leaving themselves a lot to do on the last day, and whether they actually then just decide that they'll keep. I think for Pryor's point of view, to to get into Belgium's World Cup squad, he probably needs to play. In. A little bit more regularly than I think he'd play. He have more opportunity playing at Torino rather than Leicester. So whether he pushes for the move um, from his end, I think a lot of it might also to do with. I did see a, a rumor that they'd made an offer for uh, Jeremy Boga at Atalanta. So whether that is um, who does have a habit of scoring against Torino, I seem to remember. So if that if that does happen, I won't complain too much. Yeah, whether those two become related, I think the. The likelihood is that Pryor's probably um, at least expressed a desire to move on. So I did think at the weekend whether Rogers might, if Rogers was to lose his job, whether it would complicate the um, complicate the move. But obviously that's not not something which is which is going to happen this week. So yeah, I think that's one to keep an eye on tomorrow. And then I think the other one is, well, the other two is has a Zaza. I, I think there might be a slight domino effect if Zaza was well, Zaza's gone. And if Dembeset goes, there's talk of Dembeset going to, to Liga. Um, that may open up the or the AD, the kind of non-EU slot in the squad, but it also uh, opens up another attacking space. Um, and then if a kind of position where Juric has specifically requested a, a player is in central midfield. And in today's press conference as well, Juric was very clear that the squad was 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 not complete. He was not satisfied. And the two the two kind of areas he he mentioned were central midfield and an attacking player who does everything, so to speak. And I think he was even talking, um, excluding Pryat from that conversation. So it's Pryat plus two more. Um, but interestingly, from our side, yeah, it definitely doesn't look like a goalkeeper is going to come in, and it certainly the the centre half thing may um, may hinge on Itzo leaving and I, but I don't think any centre half come in will, will be anyone particularly um, uh, I think it will be a fairly low profile player who comes in just to, to make up a six number and then yeah at the top and the bottom of the pitch we've mentioned that if um, if we're left with Pellegrini and, and Snabry we may, as, may well find ourselves playing false nine in a lot of games and if we don't bring in a six defender and we, we kind of uh, only have three or four defenders available, then we we could be looking at Adopo or, or Lukic playing back there and having these kind of solutions, which probably aren't ideal. But I, yeah, Torino just don't tend to do much on the final day. Um, so, yeah, could be up to four players. I think if we already get Priot in plus one more, uh, yeah, I think if you, if you could choose a position to get, so let's say Priot. Let's say optimistically, Pryor's done, and we get one more. What position would you uh, prioritise? Uh, it's a good question. I think the, the the defensive situation we might be it's not ideal, but we might be able to we might be able to wing it with. I think I think with full if everybody's fit, uh, I think that's obviously a big if that you have got five centre backs who you wouldn't really can be concerned with playing at any one time. Gigi has made a bit of a a recovery from 
sort of been a bit error prone previously. I don't think this he really made a, a catastrophic error for for a good few months now. Um, so I think I think that would probably be the area I'd probably be most comfortable with. If I mean, yeah. ideally, I'd have another one in. Yeah, I mean, you've said before he's reluctant to put Ina in there, but there are yeah. solutions within the squad if you want to be adaptable. Um, then if you bring Pryte, you've got Pryte, Moranchuk, Vlasic and uh, Radonjic, which is a pretty good um, it's a pretty good set of attacking areas. Pryte and Moranchuk lack a little bit of pace, um, but definitely, definitely uh, technicians. And, and Pryte has played historically a little bit deeper as well. He I think that's where he's, he's played a little bit for Leicester. It's not quite the physical Pabega-esque midfielder that um, Juric is after. Probably quite the opposite. But I think he does open you up with the option where he can play as a Trecartista and he can play a little bit deeper if it was absolutely necessary. But with Linetti looking like he's likely to stay, I think I think we're not too bad in that, in that area either. No, I mean, I think Linetti's, I guess steady form at the start of the season has um he's just looked very he's looked very disciplined um and i think it's probably you know on one hand um the transfer committee or vanyati may be looking at look we've got we've got four central midfielders priot might be coming in and they, they might be a little bit reluctant to add there but i i'd have thought this weekend who tony sanabria has always reminded me of and I think Tony Sadabri is a bit of a low-budget Roberto Firmino. And uh, it's just very good. I'm not sure good. if that's a compliment. Well, no, I mean, I think I think very good link-up player. Um, very good in... Uh, I mean, Firmino, I think, famously scores a lot of his goals. Uh, is it Firmino scores a lot of goals away from home? Um, Sadabri tends to score them at home. But, yeah, tends to be very good in, in certain matches but you wouldn't rely on being you wouldn't rely in, in, in certain big matches of, of being in a player to take that one chance yeah um, and I just the way I look at it with the two strikers is we're going to there's quite a few weeks where we might play three games I just don't we can't Pietro Pellegrini if he plays 90 minutes is probably not got in the physical position to play 90 minutes the match after um, and I just think Sanabria also might be a player if he's got a bit of bit of knows he's got a bit of pressure on the bench might yeah might not get um, too comfortable in, in his in his position. I just think a bit of I guess we've got a decision to make. Is yeah, you know, I think Juric is happy with two strikers as a kind of concept, um, but those two strikers being, I think he'd want. And I don't think he's a sort of coach necessarily wants a striker to score 20 goals. I think he likes to have the goals balanced across the team because it's it's healthier in a way. And I think ideally he would have a 12-goal striker um, and then lots of goals from, uh, from from the attacking players, supporting attacking players. But Tony Stabri has only scored 10 more than once in his career and, and Pietro Pellegrini has barely played 50 league games. So two strikers is probably fine, but I'm just not sure. I don't have full confidence in the two strikers we have. So uh, I've taken a long time to answer your question, but would it be would it be a kind of all-encompassing powerhouse midfielder or or a t- or a, the other thing is that which strikers you bring in? I mean, it, you, the likes of Piontek and these these guys who've 
he's I mean he's wound up at Salernitana now, but he's kind of like serial spend spend a season here and there kind of strikers. Um, it it, it would have to be someone who who was kind of top quality. I think. Um, see, I think that's the, that's the difficult one because it's. I think Sanabria will is quite sort of set as the number one choice as a striker with Pellegri as the sort of younger option. So then what what do you go for? Do you go for, I, I can't see a sort of a top quality player to come in and be number one, the number one striker straight away. It seems a little harsh on Sanabria given the fact he has played quite well, although not always with the with the end product. But then you that would obviously probably require a lot of money as well. And on the last day of the window, can't see Torino doing that. So there's just been no news. Also, no. any strike. The only striker is uh, is Dovbic that that we've been we've kind of been linked with. We and we'd only be able to sign him if if Sec left. So I, I think been... I think I think the Sec the Sec move is interesting actually because I think if she, if he stays, I think he's actually another option as a third choice striker. I think given the the depth you'd have in the Trequartista role, actually Sec's got the height and the pace, which is probably what we're missing from that from that role at the moment. Pellegri. Um, for for a big guy, is isn't slow, but Sanabria is not the quickest. I think that's probably the profile with with the, with the Barrow rumours at the start of the window. It's probably a, a pacier striker that you'd be you'd be looking for as a different option, especially against maybe a um, a more defensive side where you can sort of an option in behind. Whereas Torino don't really have that. Um, I'm going to throw a name. I'm going to throw a name to you. Just in case it's not a, a player already on the books, and if again, and I'm going to make another wild suggestion. Um, that if Torino don't sign a striker, I can see this young man making an appearance uh, before the end of the season. Herbert Ansar scored scored again today, three out of three for the Primavera against Inter. Yeah. Against Inter, and they actually they beat Atalanta, I believe. Um, uh, on Saturday or Sunday, so two of the biggest sort of or the the best historically Primavera sides in recent seasons. Um, firstly, there aren't enough Herberts in football, so that's the the main reason. I'd, I'd get him in the squad now for just for that reason alone. But seventeen, uh, eighteen in September, scored three out of three. I wouldn't hate the idea that something that Atalanta do quite regularly, where if they do have an injury crisis they do bring players through from the, the primavera a little bit regularly and actually rather than play somebody out of position you actually play somebody in their role even though they're maybe a little bit less experienced but I I think if we didn't if we don't sign a striker given his form if he continues that obviously he might go might go nine games without a goal after this. Apologies if so Herbert. Um but if we don't sign a striker I don't hate the idea that um we sort of include some of the Primavera options, and I think he, I think that probably stands for for defence and and midfield as well. Yeah, I don't see. I think the first point. I don't think Juric rates Sec particularly at this point yet. I think he dropped. He was dropped from the first um, from the Monza squad, and, and Juric was a bit disparaging in the press conference. Um, and we just yeah, we've not not seen him. We've not seen him very much at all since we signed him. To be honest, he in certain which. which... Certain, I find some of the rumours about him going back to France, uh, well, not back to France, but going to France. Um, I think there was a couple of sides have been interested. 
with a profit for Torino as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do wonder what they've seen. Because I think he's, he's shown glimpses, but given we spent five million euro on him and the rumours that we'd be getting six million and maybe a little bit more, um, I just yeah seems seems a bit of a strange one. I do, I do wonder whether um, there, there is that potential that, that that teams think they can that they can tap into. Let's see. I, I mean, to, to answer your, to answer the first question, I, I think I'd like to see some pace. And I think we have two players, uh, Singo and, and Radonjic, who have pace. And I think there's a lack of uh, a lack of pace in the squad. So I, I would quite like to see Priet and uh, someone who can fulfil uh, different... I, I mean, Barrow would be kind of the profile. I'm not that convinced by him. Um, but that sort of profile, someone who can play down the middle, um, play out wide, but... Um, and kind of kind of make a bit of a difference coming off the bench as well, um, or you know you've got a kind of a bit more of an X factor of you know someone who can. Would we're about to uh, let go of the best free kick taker in the league, but yeah, or, or you have someone who is a, a specific skill set, or someone who's decent in corners. Or where's where's Fania Milinkovic Savic going, Peter? <laughs> there you go. Um, I will just. I'm. I'm just gonna given that. Semenos Azla has finally left the club, so it's been a difficult week for me. Um, I did just, I do just want to actually just sort of stick up for him a little bit. Whilst he has been the sort of figure of fun for a lot of Torino fans, and probably myself he's not included, he's not been very much fun at all, mate. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking up for him. He scored some very important goals on his debut. Scored an 89th minute winner. Um, if you think of some historic comebacks usually against Sassuolo, um, he he scored a very important goal to make it 2-2. Uh, I think this was the game in the May where we needed sort of needed to win to keep our Europa League hopes alive. And then uh, Blatty scored another, sorry, last mention of him today, I promise, scored another uh, overhead kick uh, or scissor kick to, to win the game. Um, another memorable comeback against Sassuolo where actually before that, the actual res- this result, the two-two against Benevento, where he scored twice, kept Torino in the league. Had we not sc- had he not scored the last ninety-third minute equaliser, this one we would have gone down. And then not only finished with that, the the two-nil down against Sassuolo, he pops up with another ninety-second minute winner this time to give Nic- Nicola a, a crucial three-two win in that season as well. So. I'm not going to kid people and say that maybe we shouldn't have got rid of him. I think it's the right decision. He, the, the wages that he's on, it's good good decision to get him off the wage bill. But and he isn't value for money either. Um, not I don't think he'll go down as one of our worst signings. But the, the, well, that's the one I've heard. Of, but um, I think he has done enough to actually sort of be to sort of, for for people to leave or wish him well for the rest of his career and. I think actually a lot of players probably wouldn't do what he's done and agree to sort of cancel his contract because he could probably easily just sit on the bench and, and collect a wage from Torino without not even on the bench in the stands and collect a wage. So that's what, that's what I he am, did last season, mate. I am I am standing up. I'm standing up for him. Um, so so we, it's so we concluded he had five good games for Torino in four in four seasons. So you just listed. You probably listed I, all of his goals there. 
I think I think I might. No, there is there are a couple more against. If, um... if 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 we'd signed better players than Zaza and Verdi, we might not have been in. We might not have needed those uh, goals against. He's got a couple. He's got a couple in the Europa League, isn't it? Shakhtar, Solagersk. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I it, I just think it's a. Um, I will remember some of his goals that he scored quite fondly. That that is that's that's what I'm going to leave it with. Yeah, I think he was. Um, he was always a bit of an odd fit. Odd fit, kind of tactically odd fit. I, I think I think the Juventus past and and also his sort of behaviour whilst in a Juventus shirt never really helped him either. It's, it didn't really get him on side no, with the fans no, quite early on. No, he was never. He's not really never really a character. It. I don't think the fan base warmed to when he warmed to. Never really had a particularly. Um, whenever he run in the side, he just tended to just think the place out three or four games in and then he would come in and make and have one of those games where he made an impact and technically sometimes he could be very good and he had a kind of sweet left foot and did score some important goals um scored some good goals but I think uh I think he was kind of yeah bought in for a kind of specific mandate for for kind of that Europa League just to give a to give us a bit more experience and well, use the word quality and to have an alternative to the blotty and I just don't think it ever worked out um, he was always in in, in Belotti's shadow, and uh, strangely enough, actually, certain games where uh, Zaza played and Belotti didn't seem often than often, but would would sometimes perform better. He was often a bit better at bringing bringing the best out of some of the other players. Um, but yeah, you've um, you said to, goodbye to two of your heroes yeah. this week, mate. Uh, uh, Hero may be a little bit strong, but I, yeah, I just think. Um... I think it, I, I don't complain. I think it's a t- definitely the right decision. He's not going to play. It's best thing for him, best thing for the club. Um, but it, it scored some crucial goals. I think that that probably shouldn't be forgotten. But if you compare him with it with somebody like Verdi, who has has contributed absolutely nothing, um, and was signed for a, a bigger fee, then I'd um, yeah. And if if and if Zaza's agent wants to chuck me a, a little bit of money, uh, I've got a wedding to pay for. So. Uh, if uh, if anyone wants to give me a shout out for uh, for sort of bigging up bigging them up, then uh, feel free to. Well, it's, I'm sure you can find a home for him in Southampton. This isn't a Southampton podcast, Peter. I know I know, I know Portsmouth beat Port Vale, Port vale at the weekend, but you don't need you don't need Retuitous, to make it. We're due to Southampton mention. Anyway, shall we? Uh, should we? We're going to go back to um, to the hero and villain of the week. So I think we're going to start with. With the hero, you wanna you play playing one of his one of his famous goals? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's see if you can guess from this clip. Punta l'avversario, Herrera, poi tocca fuori ancora Van der Elst, la palla è per Scifo, carica il destro, Scifo, il violentissimo! Ed è gol, gol di Vincenzino Scifo! Bellissima esecuzione di Scifo e 2 a 0 per il Belgio. We're back. Um, I think you just heard, uh, well, I can't believe it's, what, 32 years ago. Um, yeah, one of Enzo Schifo's goals from Italia 90. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, is Schifo someone you you were ever able to see, Rob? No, it's somebody I was sort of obviously aware of, the the connection with, with Torino, a bit of a... Um, I'm not sure if this might, might be a bit of a uh, strange hobby to share, but when I was younger, I used to collect um, sort of little football figures. So 
previously you'd be you'd have the ones with the big heads which were like the corinthian figures which they used to do all the premier league teams um and then they sort of they developed a, a smaller range of the microstars and i am getting onto a relevant point in in, in a bit <laughs> don't worry uh, and i think one of the only ever microstars they did was enzo Schifo in the torino shirt um so that was really when i f- first started supporting torino it was uh, I, I purchased that figure knowing that that was sort of like the only Torino figure at the time. And um, yeah, obviously I'd known Shifo was quite a um, a big player and it was quite a, a coup for, for the club to get him at the time. And he'd had a, quite a lot of success with Belgium whilst, when they weren't quite the sort of footballing powerhouse that they are today. Um, so yeah, but I, I, think I'm, I think I may have watched sort of during lockdown when I was sort of struggling for Torino games to watch I might have watched some old games and might have seen him play but nothing not not to a to a large extent no do you still have the figure I think I think I do yeah I think I got yeah. I think I've, I think I do have it I'll try and I'll try and dig it out for you it could be it could be a little mascot for uh for my uh, office desk yeah I might have to come around and steal that <laughs> um <laughs> No, Shifo for me was, yeah, it's probably one of the reasons I support Torino. I wouldn't say the kind of sole reason, but that whole um, Italia 90 uh, blending into to kind of Italian football appearing um, kind of on terrestrial TV in England a few years later. Uh, but yeah, Shifo is definitely for me one of the eye-catching players of Italia 90. I've always been, I've always kind of liked players who could hit the ball very hard. Uh, the kind of fun, fun, the bastard players, and actually one of my court heroes from the, the kind of um, football Italia years was Luigi Di Biagio. Had nothing to do with Torino, but um, especially when he was at Foggia, he used to be able to smack these balls in from like 30, 35 yards. And I just, I just always had a thing about players who could hit the ball very hard, and accurately, a, and accurately as well. A slight, slightly uh, change the topic a little bit. I do find Torino never seemed to score a lot of goals from long range, but club teams will always score goals against us from long range. Yeah. We'll score like absolute worldies. Yeah, I can't remember the long range, last long range specialist we had, but yeah, Shifo was definitely, definitely in the Belgian shirts, um, scored a significant um, amount of that type of goal. Um, I mean, he emerged, he was a, a real kind of prodigy, a teenage prodigy in the mid eighties when the, the kind of last great Belgian team before this one were, started to come to the end of their cycle. But he was always someone, he was always a bit of a golden boy and then didn't do so well in a spell at Inter in the, in the late 80s. He spent a lot of his career in, in France as well. Um, he came to Torino from France and then left uh, left for Monaco. Um, but yeah, I guess when uh, when Torino first caught my eye, the fact that Shifo was playing for them was, was, was a big draw. Um, and yeah, just a... A fundamental player in those two years where we got to the the UEFA Cup final and also won the, won the Coppa Italia. Um, I've since read a lot that I mean, Shifo wasn't he wasn't the best player in that Torino team in terms of uh, in terms of contribution and in terms of the most important player. Um, I think there was a feeling that it could blow blow a little bit hot and cold, and there's also a feeling. I mean, I've read stuff when Mondonico passed away that he, the relationship between him and Shifo was not. Um, not always ideal. I mean, I don't know how true true that was or not. But he, for me, was just a very, um, just a very kind of symbolic player of a, of that era. As I said, as I said in pods before, where every Italian team had um, seemingly had two or three kind of 
almost generational talents from from different countries and we'd you know we'd like to see bro martin vasquez as as the foreign players and then and then obviously lentini being the golden boy um the, the kind of local golden boy but yeah shifo um just he was able to play as a kind of number 10 could play as a deep line playmaker could play a little bit as a number eight a kind of box-to-box player as well um and i just i can remember one of his kind of famous games as a game um probably coming towards his second season at torino where we beat roma away 5-4 and um shifo was tremendous in that game and scored scored the winning penalty as well um and then it was just yeah kind of I remember in the home leg of the Coppa Italia final against Roma as well, just being being fun, fundamental in that match. Um, I just, yeah, I just kind of, it was a player I liked before I became a Torino fan. So then, yeah, just uh, just to kind of enjoy watching him for those two seasons was, um, yeah, it was a bit of a thrill. And you know, kind of Shifo's always always kind of remained one of my one of my court heroes. I mean, he's not someone who's He's knocked around a little bit the coaching circles, but he's not someone you hear or see much from anymore. Um, I don't think he's had a, yeah. I don't think he's had a particularly successful coaching career, which which does tend to happen. For like being a great player doesn't necessarily make a great coach. No, and there was a, a kind of story early on in his career as well at kind of Beersot when Beersot was Italian coach because uh, Shifo's um, father certainly is. I think both his parents are Italian. His father came from Sicily. Um, so there was, yeah, very early in his career, I kind of moved to um, to kind of get him um, get him to play for the Azzurri as well. But yeah, I mean, eighty eight goal, eighty eight games, twenty goals in those two seasons. Um, as I said, yeah, I doesn't can't really think since of a of, of a kind of Torino player who's just been so reliable at kind of hitting the target from outside the box. Well, I mean, that wasn't he was a far more uh, intricate, elegant player than than simply have uh, be able to kick the ball very hard but, um, but yeah very very kind of graceful player and, and I don't know there's come there's some a bit, I probably have a bit of a man crush of seeing pictures of Shifo a young Shifo and there's Belgium had some amazing kits in those in the kind of early 80s um, or early to mid 80s so yeah kind of uh, yeah Shifo Shifo did look very good in that kit and he kind of he did look very good in the Torino kit as well which I think was <laughs> was yeah, even right, seal the deal. All players look good in a um, Torino shirt. Oh uh, well, yeah. But no, I think that's a very good pick. I think it's a um, a player who probably even, so especially from a sort of maybe an older generation, would be a player that a lot of sort of even casual football fans would would be aware of with. With his sort of performances for Belgium and played quite a quite a few games in in various European leagues and I think um, yeah I think he's a worthy entry into our team of our team of Torah heroes. Yeah, and I think we said before that Torino haven't traditionally signed um, many international superstars, whether we've had them early on in their career or late in their career. Um, and I think Shifo is one of those players who. If, if you're having a casual conversation with someone about great players or players people have heard of who played played for Torino, I think she first is, is definitely one of them. But uh, equally, the player you've chosen for villain of the week, I know that a player of uh, 
true international standing. Well, I will give him a compliment to start off with. As he, as he gave Fashifo in saying maybe one of the better looking players to play for Torino. Um, my person has got probably maybe the bluest set of eyes of a player to play for Torino. Um, not that it sort of helped him. Um, sort of put, was, off uh, the, put off the opposition strikers. I thought um, it was deer in, deer in headlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was contact lenses because yeah. uh, so often people did wonder if he could see what he was doing. Um, so it's, it's Daniele Padelli, um, who I wanted to pick a goalkeeper as a sort of a... I think we've had, we've picked players in the past as, as somebody who sort of represents an era. And I think this a goalkeeper really represents a, a position um, where Torino struggled historically to find it. And, and maybe even this this season as well, probably a good example where we're um, sort of stuck with Milinkovic-Savic, who, again, apologies, he has had quite a good start to the season. But um, Pideli was one of those players who maybe just summed up that mediocrity. Um, of goalkeepers that we we've had, but I think in my in my lifetime as a Torino fan, I would probably say there are two, maybe three, if we could include Joe Hart goalkeepers who I think have been good, have been good keepers. Um, this this is interesting because I've supported Torino longer than you since uh, kind of the early nineties, and I have four, so I'm interested to see. I did write down four. Spontaneously, so so if if we go from my era as being two thousand and five onwards, yeah, um, I would say the keepers who I would say the best two keepers to play for Torino are Salvatore Sirigu for every season up until his last, sure, and Matteo Sereni. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I have four, so I have also Sirigu and Sereni. Sereni was a bit flashy um, and didn't play in. Uh, he didn't play in particularly good Torino teams, but I mean, there's at least one season where where Sereni uh, w- was very good. Um, and then the other two I have are going back a bit further. We had Luca Marcajani, who became the most expensive goalkeeper in the world, and then for a few seasons, kind of late nineties, Luca Bucci, um, who was the first choice at Parma until uh, Buffon appeared. Um, quite small for a goalkeeper, but. Uh, Bucci was always um, was always pretty reliable, um, but apart from I, th- I think we've you know, had Joe, Joe Hart. Joe Hart sits on an island all on his own. I think, but I th- uh, but I think the others, a lot of the others, we've just had we've had a lot of bad goalkeepers. We've had I, I think we've had a lot of mediocre goalkeepers. I think Pedelli probably falls in the way of maybe in an island that's just between the mediocre and the very very poor. Um, I would say sort of Jean Francois Gillet is maybe on the mediocre, Ferdinando Coppola and the mediocre. Um, but it's a lot of these guys just blend into one. Like there's, there's kind of Banassis and... Uh, Rosatis. Not, not, is it not Banassi? Banussi, sorry. Um, yeah, Robinho. Robin, um, yeah, the Gomeses. Yeah, I mean, the Gomeses are a bit bit more bit more memorable. Alf, Alf, Alfred was competent, and I think, actually. I still, I still subscribe to the belief that if Alfred Gomez, who went on to uh, replace Eduard Mendy at Rennes, he, I, I went to the game against Benfica um, for the Eusebio Cup trophy. Torino have actually won um, 
just to just remind people of that one, the, the one they all dream of. Um, uh, Gomez made a, a big mistake and led to the goal. And then I think after that, maybe gave Mahalik second thoughts about whether he was ready to to start the season uh, as his number one. And then obviously they found out that Hart was available and that, that move had then happened. I do think it had he maybe performed a little bit better in pre-season, maybe we'd never have seen Joe Hart in a 3 no shirt. But it's funny how things work out. But no, it's yeah, it's true. I mean, and that um, Liz Gomez was always a was always a kind of prodigy for the youth team, a real hothead, and they just he had a very very strange career. Um, but I got a few, I got two two questions for you on Padelli's test. Do you know who Pad, Pad, well, Padelli's um, best man was? Uh, oh. Uh, I'm, I do not know. I'm, I'm a little bit perturbed as to how you know, Peter. Was it you? Uh, have I just massively <laughs> offended you and this is your best mate? My, my best mate. <laughs> uh, well, who was the other kind of player in that Torino team under Ventura who you always wondered how he got a game or got so many games? Oh, there's so many. The, 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 the centre forward who never scored. Majorini. Majorini. So apparently, wow. Medjur- yeah, Medjurini and, and Padelli were very close. So the, in- the interesting thing about Padelli was, <clears throat> right, Padelli has played. Oh, I also have these stats. Yeah, I, I, well, I, find, I find it interesting. He's played 207 games in his career. 116, so a little over half, came in three seasons at Torino. Um, he's only played more than 20 games one of a season, which was in the third tier very early in his career. He's basically been paid for 15 years, barely to play. He's, he's settled being a second, and, third. And where did, he be, where did he begin his career? Well, he played for Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. played one game, I believe. Yeah, against Char- Charlton. Um, um, but he, I, I, the stats I had is that since leaving Torino, he's played seven games. Um, and I'm not even sure if they're seven starts. So that's in three completed seasons, not including this one, obviously. So... Um, it's got to be more seasons than that, hasn't it? I think it's. Out. I think it's only. I think this would be the he, because he well he started that he st- started the season I think at Torino and then moved to Inter. So maybe it's four. Maybe it's four. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think I. I think when when the name Daniele Padelli is uttered amongst Torino fans, he is synonymous for one, for one game and one mistake. Um, so I think it would be. Uh, remiss of us not to discuss it in detail so it's it's the Empoli own goal um, I seem to remember it very strange that I remember exactly where I was when I, when a goal happened because I don't think, I've got a feeling I was at work because this was one of the weird, one of the strange games that they decided for um, the sort of the Serie A board and directors decided to kick this off during the day. I'm not sure if it was a bank holiday or anything or whether it was a holiday in Italy. Um, but yeah, I, I seem to think it was during just a, a, a week <laughs> a weekday. It wasn't, it wasn't like the 6th of January epiphany. Yeah, I, I, I think it possibly could be. I think it could be the epiphany week. So that would make sense as to why um, why it was. So I might go and check that check that out quickly. Um but yeah, it's an it's an innocuous back pass by Emiliano Moretti, um, and under no pressure at all. Do you think it's fair to say? Only, um, only the, yeah, the, <coughs> the pressure he put on himself. Padelli panics and sweeps it into his own net. Um, it 
it is it, I've actually not no, just watching it back just for for the purpose of this part I've not actually noticed the the reaction of Moretti before <laughs> before because I think maybe initially he thought he was panic he was worried that he was going to go down as his own goal but it, he just looks like um, a parent looking at a child when he's sort of done something stupid and he's just looked towards them and and, and thought why on earth have you done that it's just a sort of an old an older player just thinking I like and I think outfield players maybe have a little less sympathy for goalkeepers than fellow goalkeepers I think it's more of those it just seems to be a look of I have no idea how you've managed to do that um, and I think I think that was a season where we were actually playing quite well until that mistake in, in the season and we struggled to recover from from that. Um but yeah, any other any other memories on Mr. Padelli? No, they kind of yeah, certain memories just tend to blend. I just it was a permanent kind of it was never someone who inspired confidence. And sometimes you just kind of create it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but it was just a kind of sense of uncertainty that that kind of prevailed around him. Um, but strangely enough, we had some pretty good seasons with him in goal. It kind of makes you wonder if we'd had... I mean, Ventura had these blind spots for uh, maybe Petraki as well for certain players because he was there He was there three seasons, but he didn't particularly have... Any, like, his distribution wasn't great. Um, he was a fairly competent shot stopper, but he would let stuff spill under his body. Um, I, I do seem to... Have... I do seem to... Sorry to interrupt again, but... I do seem to remember he had an unbelievable um, double save in the Derby victory. Yeah, he played. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously only been one Derby victory, but yeah, I think <laughs> when, when we, we didn't one come off, one came off the off the woodwork as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just yeah, it was one of those goalkeepers as well. When he did something like that, you were never sure if it was if it was kind of more luck than and than judgment. But yeah, weirdly, we signed him. You know, we signed him as kind of Udinese's backup keeper, and he left to be into second or third choice keeper. Um, and it's just a very strange career. Just basically, his career was those three seasons at, at, at Torino um, in a team of very loyal soldiers, um, two or three really quality players who were had the season, the kind of seasons of their career, and then these kind of like blind spots that Ventura would have, a kind of left back and the, the, the kind of Medjurini. Um, the dodgy goalkeeper, um, and then never quite having anyone in midfield who could really put their foot on the ball. Um, but yeah, kind of, um, yeah, and then, then Joe Hart came in. I think he might have played the first game of that season, and um, we never saw him again, did we? I think, I think, um, I have to, I have to check, and again, somebody may. Maybe able to remember why this was, but yeah, it was get it was played in May on the sixth, two p.m. on a Wednesday. Um, so I, I've got a feeling that we were still sort of in with a chance of Europa League football at this point, or at least European football at this point. Um, and then this sort of sort of ruined those those chances. But um, yeah, just. Um, he, I don't think he was the worst goalkeeper who's played in my era, but I think he's probably the best player to sum up that sort of mediocrity in the role, like I say, and and probably the most high-profile mistake that we've had. I know um, Joe Hart had a an incident in a waterlogged pitch, also in Empoli, also against Empoli, I seem to remember. Um, 
but yeah, I think Padelli. Because if you've got a, if a team has a really bad goalkeeper, they often play maybe one, two, three games. Padelli was was number one for for a large sort of portion of it. Well, really the only sort of significant portion of his of his career as a, as a starter. Um, but I mean, fair play. If if you go and be a second choice and play just the Coppa Italia and probably earn more money at Inter, then it's um. I think it's it's quite a good gig if you can get it. Um, yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be it'd be. I don't know when our next um, truly reliable goalkeeper is going to come, but um, but it's yeah, it's quite interesting over thirty years. I mean, some of those some of the guys we mentioned that you know did have um, did have multiple seasons, but yeah, it's just been. I mean, I remember guys in the late nineties of like Beato, Eduardo. We had a guy Pastine who who. It could be very good and, and, and very bad. It's um, um, a, a, a name that, again, not to make this a Southampton podcast again, but Massimo Taibi had a, um, well, Taibi, had a spell. Yeah. In, I, I, from what I've heard, it wasn't actually that bad. No, Taibi I hesitated on because he was part of the Serie B. Um, well, this is quite interesting. He was part of the Serie B promotion team um, and was steady, but Taibi, would, when, he, when it went wrong, it went badly wrong. And I think he made two or three uh, horrendous errors that season but for 30 well for all but three games he was very good um, very experienced and kind of a, a kind of leader um, but he would he's not one of those goalkeepers who would um, I think a little bit I remember one of the mistakes he made for Serena was a little bit like that one the Man United Southampton match um, but uh, interestingly and someone who might be my villain um, later in the season, is he was he was set to be the goalkeeper for the Serie A season, and we brought in Christian Abbiati from Juventus uh, on loan, and that was quite a coup at the time because he was uh, it was one of the top three or four goalkeepers in Italy. Um, I'd obviously been part of successful Milan teams, and yeah, I mean Abbiati was really not very good at Torino, and he was a bit. I mean, he had the most. I think he has the most kind of uh, unsympathetic face I've ever seen as well. Um, just yeah, I just really kind of unpleasant. <laughs> I never saw him smile, and um, and there's kind of little bits of parallel with the kind of Zaza thing of coming coming from Juventus as well. And not to not to um, ruin a potential villain for you and an aspect of the discussion, but. I do seem to remember he may have shared some interest in belief. Abiati. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he had a, he lived very near me when I lived in Turin as well, and yeah, I used to. You weren't his best man too, were you? I was no when he was best man. Yeah, <laughs> I, used, I when I used to walk to work and see him go to work, and yeah, this. Go to work as in the, the first choice goalkeeper for Turin. Well, no, <laughs> the year I was there, he was at Juventus. It was the year was, Juventus used to house a lot of players. Especially players who were kind of on loan in an, in the area where I lived. Um, not that I lived in a particularly palatial place, but it was <laughs> right right in the centre right in the centre of town. But yeah, I remember Marcello Zalaeta. I used to see, I used to see a lot of Marcello Zalaeta and Abiati and um, I was a kind of uh, was it Manuele Blasi the midfielder as well. But yeah, all these characters. This is gone from not, not always living the life of a professional athlete. Somewhere. This has gone from being the Roma podcast to the Southampton podcast to the Juventus podcast. Um, 
So yeah, just to, just to just to reiterate, this is talking Torah. Um, let's get back on. Let's get back on track with At- Atalanta and Lecce. And yeah, let's break, let's let's news. move swiftly on. Got some breaking news for you. Oh, there's a Lecce, the first promoted side to get a point this season because I believe they're just drawn at Napoli. That is correct. Um, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy about that. That um, they've got their point now. Um, We'll get on to Lecce in a minute, should we talk? Because um, let's go for a, go for Atalanta. Yeah. Last last two seasons, we've uh, travelled to Bergamo and we've drew four four and three three. So Peter, is it going to be two two? Is it going to be five five? It's a good question. The season before we won the three two was in Reggio. The, the uh, Reggio Emilia. The season before we won the, the Berenguer game, the game yeah, where yeah. where after after that game, Caro bought bought us a present of Simone Verdi so unfortunately can't buy us anybody well he's, he's only gave a couple of hours if, he's, if, he, if he wants to buy us another present after Atalanta uh, yeah. tomorrow well we might be giving him a present we might be giving him Armando Idso so all, <laughs> all sorts of things tied up with Atalanta but yeah the last five five visits you referenced most of we've uh, won one lost one and had a nil-nil draw as well but a 3-3-4-4 three, three, four, four. Ah, uh, tomorrow's a strange one. I think it's not ideal timing this last day of the window. I don't think it's probably ideal for, for either side. So it's quite hard to... I don't doubt that the, the kind of players out there... I don't think there's any Torino players tomorrow who are at risk of leaving or or players who might be pulled out of the squad because they might be moving on. There's a few... There was talk of Lukic, a meeting about Lukic today, but I haven't really seen... Maybe that was about the contract. So in that sense... Yeah, in that sense, there shouldn't be too many concerns. I find tomorrow, find it's quite hard to call. To be honest, I probably I would take four points from the two games. Um, I think I think a draw tomorrow would be quite good. It's you know just, the longer we can stay unbeaten, the kind of the kind of nicer that sensation is. Um, nothing would surprise wouldn't surprise me if it was a narrow defeat. I I don't have the same feeling that we might win tomorrow. I think there's a I just don't think at the moment, you know, without Moranchuk, without possibly two two more attacking players coming in, that we quite have the quite have the firepower off the bench as well. I would just talk of I don't know if Urich was just kind of playing it down, but let's talk of Radonich hasn't trained all week. Um, so yeah, if, I, if I'm I, I'm going to promise I'll predict a, a scoreline for every game this season. I think I'm going to go for a two-one defeat tomorrow. I think, yeah, I think I'm similar. I seem to seem to have had a bit of a strange um, window because they they have sort of let a lot of players go. So sort of um, Freuler's gone over to uh, Nottingham Forest, um, and it does seem that maybe a lot of that core of of the side who helped them sort of qualify for the Champions League for a couple of years in succession. Is now sort of breaking away, but I think they've actually replaced them relatively well. Um, this Sunday, Edison from Salernitana, who was a player who I did uh, pick out on, on this podcast before, as a player I thought could have been a potential uh, signing for Torino, but as, fortunately, I don't think Torino's money can uh, stretch that that far. I think he went for about 20 million euros. Um, so yeah, it's not. I, if, I mean, if you remember the game last season, we were actually four two up and, and still managed to sort of throw it away in the last 10 minutes so because of the sort of the pass between with Gasparini and and Juric it's a very similar they play a very similar style um 
of football very similar formations and, and sometimes it just even they sort of just sort of even each other out and it's sort of I can see it being an entertaining game and maybe maybe like you say one goal I, I, I struggled to see 3 no winning which is hopefully hopefully I'm being pessimistic and I'll be pleasantly surprised but yeah I, I can see either a narrow defeat or, or a draw again yeah, I think I think we'll be closer to them in the standings than we have been in recent seasons. I don't think they're quite as strong. I think I looked at their lineup, the kind of lineup for tomorrow. It's it's kind of the classic. Uh, a lot of players who've been there a long time, and the kind of a lot of the new blood is being and is on had, the bench. They've had exactly the same start as us as well. Sort of just conceded one less goal, but three games and seven points. So um, I, th- I think that probably sums up that we probably are going to be relatively evenly matched and I think if Rodonjic is missing then that sort of leaves us a little bit light in terms of the the Trey Quartista role and maybe that means Lukic we push forwards or um, it would be Vlasic and and again maybe Linetti we go back there we played a little bit there in, in the early stages of, of Juric's tenure um, but yeah I'll go where uh, if, if we say I'm going to go for the 2 I'll go for the 2-2 I like the symmetry of the uh, after the scoreline, so let's go for 2-2. Two, two. There you go. I might have been wrong in my claim before. I've, I've not looked, but did Lecce get a, also get a point against Empoli? Have Lecce got two points now? You've, you've upset the Lecce fans who listen to this podcast intently each week. I they did. I, Lecce have yeah. got, Lecce have two, got two, they've doubled their points tally of the promoted yeah. teams. I think they got a, uh, either 1-1. I, th- one, one I think actually that's it's quite an interesting point where I think obviously Monza have um, sort of put a lot of money into to reinvesting and obviously we know a little bit more about the two promoter sides three I've already played but Monza have put a lot of money in they've got a lot of new players and they've not started particularly well Cremonese to a lesser extent I think probably been a bit more a bit smarter about the players that they're signing players younger players with things to prove they've not started so well with Lecce who uh, actually won I think they, yeah they, they won the, the division of maybe uh, they won Serie B so they've They've kept maybe with more of the the squad who got them up, and I mean, at a point away to to Napoli is isn't anything to be sniffed at. So, I think they're a side who is a bit, are a bit of a bogey side. It's the the last team, the last match I went to see over in Italy before the the COVID nineteen pandemic was uh, Lecce four Torino nil, and then in the reverse fixture at the Stadio Olimpico was actually my birthday, and they managed to to ruin that by beating us two one. So. Um, it's a side, and Lecce is also a lovely part of the world. If anybody's uh, ever in Puglia, I would recommend a trip, but maybe don't go and watch the Torino games part of it. Um, but yeah, the team I don't really have much, um, even though Torino never seemed to get a result against them. I'm quite happy to see them back in the in the top division, and hopefully we can sort of improve our uh, recent record against them at least. And I think it's a it's a tight turnaround. If we do do any um, sort of business on on the, the deadline day tomorrow, there's a chance they'll be involved as well. So it might freshen up the squad a little bit. Um, and it's going to be a busy sort of busy couple of weeks because I think there's another set of midweek fixtures as well, and and the Coppa Italia before the the World Cup break. So um, I'll I'll optimistically go for a, for a victory on Monday night. Yeah, I think the better we do in Bergamo, the worse we'll do in at home to Lecce. It's just one of the if it's 
if anything's kind of teed up for Torino to either go top or go very close to top. I think, I think we could have gone top on that game on my birthday and um and then we and then we failed as well. We, yeah, we there, was a, there, there was one year where we started very well and then we lost at Carpi. Yeah. Um yeah, if there's any, well, yeah, I think I think that is the one that is unwritten rules of the Torino fan. If there's ever a chance of Torino to either enjoy a cup print or go top of the table, then they would find a way to mess it up. Yeah, I think interestingly we played three of the uh, all three promoted teams in the first five games last season. We didn't do very well against um, the teams at the very bottom, so it is encouraging. We kind of we got points against probably teams in. In slight in transition, I think the Lecce team will play will be relatively similar to their Serie B team, but they are, I think, slowly, slowly bringing quite a lot of players. Um, they brought in Samuel Umtiti, who is someone we were linked with a few seasons ago, but it's, it's barely played any football for three or four seasons. I don't know physically where he's at, but it seems he's gone there with a lot of fanfare, but it seems quite a risky signing to me. Um, I, th- I, th- I think, um Barcelona are heavily subsidising his wages, so I suppose in that in that regard, it's not. Um, I suppose it's a little bit of a low risk strategy. If he's got a chance, I mean, he's World Cup winner, so he's a lot younger than I thought he was. Well, only twenty eight, so the last, he. Last... Oh, sorry to I'll let you. Yeah, no problem. So I was just say he was a new substitute today, so chance that he could make his debut as well. Well, last time we beat Lecce was our first game back in Serie A um, under Venturi, won 3 0. Do you remember who the goal scorers were? Point for each. Oh, I'm worried I'm going to get zero points here. Any, anyone at home? Much, much like Monza, I'll, get, I'll end up with zero points. Um, I go for. Give me a position if you can. Um. So you got a fantasist, a central midfielder, and one of your heroes. Oh, Bianchi. Bianchi, yeah. Mario Santana. No. Uh, midfielder. Bit of a workhorse midfielder who's since become a Serie A and Serie B coach. Oh. At quite a young age. Paolo Zanetti. Paolo Zanetti, yeah. And who was and, the uh, fantasista? Rosinaldo. Oh, that's two of my heroes. There you go. Well, you've not done him as a. Have you done? We haven't done Rosina as a hero of the week yet, have you? So. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's maybe that's next week's. Maybe we've got spoilers for next week. It's Rosina and Aviati. Yeah, you can't. Um, you can't love him that much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, if if I'm if I'm going for a defeat in Bergamo, I'll go for. A, uh, I'll go for three 0 against Lecce again. Oh, no. I just uh, our new signings, uh, our new twenty-five million pound striker, uh, Dennis Pryat. Um, uh, what we'll, we'll t- we'll uh, tell the place? I'm so. just I'm just waiting for an apology on uh, the first in the first ten seconds of the next episode when Michi Bashuai turns up uh, at, at Torino tomorrow morning. You will. Um, it's happened overnight. In fact, if Michi, it's a double, it's a double right. Belgian. If he's, if, yeah, if he's, uh, well, th- three, we could be denier as well. Triple yeah. Um Well, if if Batshuayi scores the winner on Monday evening, we can dedicate we can dedicate a whole pod to Bellotti and Southampton. <laughs> um, 
No, I've moved on, Peter. I've moved on. Stop trying to just stop trying to remind me of this. Uh, okay, I've, okay. I've just finished crying reading his uh, Instagram post. Like you say, he's remembered his password, and um, I'm sure, I'm sure when Roma draw an English team in the uh, in the Europa League, he'll, he'll come and visit me. There you go. Wait. Well, I, I, I'm hoping Torino, the Torino Roma match isn't too soon. So it'll be. Uh, I, it, we, we, it's. I'm actually. It's in April, and it is. Um, a match I have sort of looked at possibly going to because it's in the um, it's in, a, in a time I might be able to have a holiday there. So um, yeah, may maybe a, a bittersweet moment for me. Yeah, well, Belotti back on loan in Torino by April, won't you? So, <laughs> anyway, there we go. I think we've had I think we've had enough. Well, um, yeah, you've you got to get this pod up before. Before a, a defeat in Bergamo, anyway. So yeah, no pressure. Yeah, so apologies if if you don't listen if you listen to this part and we haven't signed that as Brett, um, then feel free or, to mark us. Or Mitchy Batsway. And it, yeah, if we if yeah, just ignore. It. I'll just edit that part if I don't get it up in time. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of your um your evening, and uh, we'll go on to Torino Atalanta tomorrow for Sotolo. What's the total?